the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. It is Wednesday, July 19th, getting this one in a little bit early. We've got Keith Smith in just a few minutes with an in-depth five things that he's learned from the NBA this offseason. He bounces all over the place. If you're an NBA fan, you're going to love it. He gets nerdy. He gets uh, There's some draft recap. There's some summer league discussion, plenty of contract talk, and some discussion about how trades maybe have been devalued over the past couple of months here because of maybe some trades that broke some things. We've seen that before in other, other sports, and I think maybe he's on to something here in the NBA. So good 40-minute discussion with Keith on the back end of this show. I'd be remiss if I didn't start with the NFL. Plenty of news to talk about. I did uh, you know, most of the extension conversations over the past couple of episodes here. Training camps have officially started. The Jets players have started to report this morning, so we're in that mode. Uh, what that means, by the way, is any NFL draft pick who hasn't signed can't show up. So you're going to see a lot of reports about rookies signing their contracts. Finally, we still don't have the number, number one overall pick signed. Carolina is certainly going to make that happen in the next couple of hours here, in my opinion. And uh, we'll see a flurry of that. A bunch of releases as well. You're going to see some things start start to organize for cap purposes. And the uh, you know the 90-man roster down to 53 is is ahead of us here. It's just a few weeks away as we get through camps and get through the preseason process. So we're, we're there. I think we're 50 days officially from the start of the NFL season. So uh, we'll be gung-ho in terms of all that content as much as possible. I posted an article referencing career earners at every position and players who are coming and which positions may be safe for a while in that regard. There's some names. There's some active players on there. There's some plenty of retired players on there. But look, it all comes back to and it stemmed from this running back discussion. I'm not going to have it again here. I know a lot of outlets are, are still banging down that door, and that's fine. Um, what we know about Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barkley, and, and for better or for worse, Tony Pollard, who has signed his franchise tag, is that there just simply wasn't an offer that was good enough to take. It sounds like Jacobs was super close. The reports out of Barkley's camp is it, it was about $2 million per year. You can say that that's child's play, and either side should have just said yes. They don't have to. Okay, Nobody has to here. All right, Saquon Barkley is probably going to get a second franchise tag and it's going to make him $22.5 million over the next two years. It's not enough. As you, as you know, I've reported that he's probably a $25 to $27 million guarantee for that right now. But Miles Sanders, who is, what, 90% of what Saquon Barkley has been over the first four years here, got $13 million guaranteed on the open market with every team available to sign him. It's just where we are, okay? So I'm not going to go too much further down this, but just know that saying no and walking away and getting yourself to the open market is probably not a better approach for this position right now. It's not, okay? And if you're being offered a tag that's around the 10 million mark, you're one of the highest paid running backs in football, okay? (laughs) It's just a reality. So they're going to hold out. You're not going to see them around their teams for a while here. my, My guess is both of them show up for week one, you know, that's a guess. They don't have to. They're not going to get fined for any of it. They're going to start to forfeit money out of that 10 million, but they're not going to be fined because they are simply not under a contract right now. So um, it's a terrible situation. There's no right answer. I've thrown a couple of things on Twitter of maybe how we adjust things. However, the CBA is running through 2030. There's seven more years before any of these discussions can actually happen. So we're just going to have to grin and bear it and hope that, you know, some player, as I've said, comes out of the woodworks. Maybe it's Bijan. You know, maybe maybe that player exists and he's going to break out this year. 
Maybe Jonathan Taylor turns around and has an expiring contract year that is worthy of Derrick Henry type money. It's possible. But until the perfect situation gets in front of us, we're not going to see that contract because these guys deserved it and didn't get it. So that's where we stand with that. Um, I'll have full literature breakdowns on Quinn and Williams and Evan Engram's extensions shortly on spotrate.com. We just had another one hit today. Alex Highsmith with the Pittsburgh Steelers, four for 68, about 28 million guaranteed on that one. We'll do some work on that as well. Uh, that's not going to slow down. We're going to get the, the Burrow contract, the Herbert contract, and a few more here. Maybe a Justin Jefferson, CD Lamb combo at some point in time here. So it's going to be a busy, busy July and August for NFL contracts as well as roster cuts and trades and things like that. So plenty of content to get to. And oh, by the way, we are 13 days from the Major League Baseball trade deadline. Cousin Dan is working feverishly on the draft signing bonuses that are pouring in. The deadline to do that is closing. So he'll be he'll be encapsulating that and we'll have a discussion about some of those and also get back to some of these veteran players who are certainly going to be on the move as teams figure out what the heck they are for the rest of the season, buyers, sellers, or maybe even a little bit of both. Let's talk NBA offseason with Keith Smith. Fresh off his trip to Summer League, Keith Smith joins us to debrief uh, a wild two and a half weeks or so of NBA offseason. He's going to give us his top five, five things he's learned in three weeks of work here, dealing with the <laughs> NBA offseason. Keith, welcome. Uh, fire away, man. It's your show. Yeah. I So I, I took this in a, a little bit of a weird direction. Some of it's you know general concepts. Some of it's going to be uh, player-specific stuff. But the first big thing, as I've kind of going through and we're running now, our kind of uh, offseason recaps, which is openly you're going to own a little dangerous with a Damian Lillard and James Harden potential trades floating out there, but those don't seem like they're coming in the next day or two. So uh, we we figured it's time. And one of the things that I've noticed going through all the deals that were signed, teams are taking back some control uh, this off season. They are not just handing out, you get a max and you get a max like Oprah handing out new cars. (laughs) Like it is, you know, that they are in a spot where it is going to be, you know, we're, we're, we're locking in a, l- a little bit here. Like a good example, Fred Van Vliet, max deal with the, the Rockets, but those last uh, couple years are, you know, that the, the Rockets took some control back on that. They've got a team option mm-hmm. on that final year uh, with Van Vliet. They, they you know, didn't just hand him everything. And that's even that to me speaks a lot to a team that's not very good going out and saying, Hey, we want you, we want you here. We're happy to pay you the max, but we're not giving you the full four years, everything in your favor. Uh, max deal, like we've seen in the past kind of get handed out. It was, you know, some level of control. We've seen that a lot with options, non-guarantee years, all that sort of stuff, uh, in a lot of these deals, which is an interesting, uh, kind of approach considering where everything is headed overall salary wise in the NBA. So, uh- are Phoenix then just zagging, right? Is that like the team that stands out like a sore thumb right now? Yeah, I mean, a little bit. You know, the Suns, it, it did, the whole intention with the CBA was everybody got kind of a grace period year where it was, all right, what we're going to do here is we're going to let everybody kind of get their stuff in order before all the full penalties come in and make it really hard on you teams that are super expensive. And we saw the Warriors do that they traded out of a lot of long-term money to jordan Poole for shorter term money to chris paul and the warriors seemingly said all right yeah it's time to get things in order the sun said cool one more year to get super expensive let's go and they you know just went 
you know, hog wild Mm -hmm. with the Bradley Beal acquisition and then getting all these other guys. And now all their other deals were minimum deals. But what they did, which was interesting, instead of doing one year minimum deals, which all come in just over two million dollars for the veteran guys because the league subsidizes the rest of it. They did two year minimum deals with almost all of them by getting player options on that second year, which puts a lot of power to the players. But I think that was Phoenix owning, hey, we can literally offer you nothing more. Like the most we could do is a two-year minimum deal and we'll give you the power on the other end. And all things considered, they did quite well filling out their roster that way. Okay. Uh, so a little bit of temperament in terms of just throwing money out there. That sounds very, you know, major league baseball-y right now. Maybe maybe a bit of common sense coming to contracts here with, with the NBA. Is that how you're reading it? Yeah, I think so. I think one other thing that's interesting too is we look at the the extension negotiations that have been done. So the rookie scale extensions. Uh, we saw Anthony Edwards, LaMelo Ball, and Tyrese Halbert, one of the three all-star level guys out of the rookie class, all get max deals. But none of them got a player option on the end that, that the teams you know, basically said, hey, you're, we're going to pay you a ton of money in a five-year max deal, but we're, we're going to – you know, hold you for five years and kind of control things. And then we saw Desmond Bain, who was the other guy, initially looked like he got a max deal, but they actually put incentives in his deal, which will will allow him mm. to get to the max number. But for now, he's you know held back a little bit uh, from the other guys. So that that was a you know another measure of that. And then the other big kind of veteran extension that is still floating out here. Uh, we're recording this on July nineteenth. Is Jalen Brown in the Boston Celtics? There is generally been in the past. It's okay. You're super max eligible, and it wasn't a complete fluke thing like out of nowhere. All right, here you go. Let's get you to the super max and go. We saw the Sacramento Kings with Demontis Sabonis do a rare, uh, or at least somewhat rare, uh, renegotiation and extension where they brought him up to the max number so then they could extend him off of that number. The Celtics are in a spot where they did not just hand Brown, all right, here's the full five-year max with the player option, with the trade bonus, and everything else under the sun. There seems to be some level of negotiation going on there, and that seems likely it's probably either money related, option related, something like that. So so I definitely think we're in a, we're in a world now where the teams are saying, all right, hey, we're we're going to commit, you know, in some of these cases a quarter of a billion dollars to you in, in a contract, but we're not giving you everything. You you're, you're going to have to work with us somewhat on this. Keith, what is the the uh, all be all deadline for Jalen Brown in this extension? Yeah, it's the beginning of the season um, for him to do kind of the, the the super max type of deal here. Now, he could let that carry into uh, next year with the challenges. He may not then not be eligible to sign it as a super max deal because he made All-NBA this year. He'd have to make All-NBA again. Yeah. Uh, this coming season to be eligible. So at the beginning or really the end of the off season, right before the start of the regular season, that's when he's got to get that done. And what about the trade scenarios? Uh, If he signs the extension, does that limit his trade? Does it restrict him at all? Is there like a a yin and yang part of this off season that has to happen here? Yeah. So what happens any player signs one of these designated uh, player extensions, they're one year trade restricted. Mm. So he couldn't be traded at all for one year. Uh, And then after that, it comes 
into, you know, it kind of comes back to the normal NBA game of, all right, I'm happy for a couple of years and now I'm asking for a trade or something along those lines. If they trade him uh, now, well, let's just say they were to trade him to, I don't know, the Orlando Magic. In the Orlando Magic, um, they could sign him to a standard veteran extension, but they cannot give him the designated player, uh, one which that's the one everybody knows, right? That's the 250-odd million dollar one. Uh, he can only get that from the Boston Celtics because you can only get that from the team that drafted you mm-hmm. or a team that acquired you while you were on your rookie scale contract. It's fascinating. Okay. Uh, number yeah. two, what else have you learned this off season thus far? All right. This one, you know, put me in the captain obvious category here, but Victor Wembanyama is going to be really good. <laughs> um, <laughs> and part of the reason though, why I say that he's just so even keeled. He played that first summer league game and was awful. I mean, really, really bad in that first summer league game. And he kind of came out of it and was like, yeah, I thought I might be bad. I haven't really done anything basketball-wise since my season ended in France. And it's been you know, a whirlwind of go to the draft, get drafted, go to San Antonio. Talked about how he hadn't even had a practice with any of his teammates. And he was just kind of going on instinct. Two days later, he was awesome Mm -hmm. and you could see everything you know this is what this guy can be and and it got super exciting to to watch him kind of play and do do his thing out there he is it's weird right i I, i've seen yao ming in person i've seen Shaq in person and it's not to say those guys aren't enormous but Wembenyama, you could have told me he's eight feet tall and i would say okay because he's all arms and legs like he's just so skinny but he is you know he, he's something he, he's going to be a really really special player and that spurs a uh, whole situation there with him and other young guys like jeremy sohan devin vassell keldon johnson mm-hmm. uh, malachi branham it's going to be really fun to watch them develop and build that up they've got a ton of flexibility moving forward my guess is next year's probably the year if one binyama looks like he's as good as we think he's going to be you're going to start to see them start to play in free agency add some guys around him and i, I think they're going to be pretty good pretty quickly I agree. That was going to be my follow-up is where do the Spurs team stand? I know they're, they've made a small acquisition this past week. They've certainly uh, ramped up the, the, you know, the rookie scout players over the past couple of seasons. You think next off season, one year from now, maybe is a time to push or we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I think this year is going to be, okay, we're going to play one Minyama and all the kids mm-hmm. and a handful of the veteran guys. Like They'll be in there. They'll be in the mix. Guys like Doug McDermott, Cameron Payne, Jetty Osman, Reggie Bullock. We'll, we'll see how that all plays out. But for the most part, I think it's going to be, let's play one Minyama and the kids and let's, let's see how it all comes together. And now we could get into a spot where, Let's say we're at the trade deadline. It's like, hey, we're kind of in the mix here. Sort of what the Utah Jazz were like a year ago. Mm -hmm. They could then turn around and say, all right, let's invest now. Let's go get some guys because they've got every contract on their books is, you know, extremely tradable. They they can move anybody with very uh, little problem. But I really think what we're more likely to see is, all right, a year from now, we're going to go into the summer with probably somewhere in the range of, let's call it, 
75-ish million in cap space. And let's see what we can do with that in a, in a summer where, you know, it's probably not going to be blockbuster moves, but it'll be a targeted player or two that really we feel like can fit and lift Wembenyama. Let's go get those guys now. So we're probably a year out for them really making a ton of noise, but it, it's coming just because I think he's going to be that good worth investing around him. Is there any world where he's not the rookie of the year, Keith? Yeah, I think so. Cause I think, you know, guys, I think Chet Holmgren's going to make a mm-hmm. real run at that. I, I think what's going to happen there is you're going to see how the voters weigh team success against uh, individual uh, numbers. Holmgren's numbers may not end up as good as one Binyama's, but his team's probably going to be a lot better. I think the Thunder will make a real run at being a top six team and in the playoffs. And Holmgren looks like he's ready to go and looks really good. So I, I think that's going to be really fun. I, I think uh, Scoot Henderson, pending what happens in Portland, he's going to make a real run at it. That dude is he may be the most competitive guy I can remember coming in in the last few classes. Like he's really ready to go. And, and you can almost sense he bristles at the whole, all right, cool. Wembenyama, Great. Like we heard it, like <laughs> watch what I can do kind of thing. So, so that's going to be fun. And I think with, with Wemby, his issue may be, he may be a little inconsistent, especially out of the gate. I think it's going to take him a little bit to find his footing, his games, just a, a little bit different than some of the other guys. So I, I think it'll take, take some time, but eventually he's going to get there. And, you know, so rookie of the year, maybe not, but he'll definitely be in the mix for sure. And I think the, uh, the greatest clue, not that it isn't obvious that he's going to be great is a five-year extension for Greg Popovich, right? Which yes. absolutely yeah. did not need to happen. <laughs> he could have walked away from this thing at any point in time over the past decade. And he is here for now the long haul. And that's probably because of what he has seen internally. There's no question about it, right? Yeah. And, and you know, he spoke uh, last year in when they asked him kind of the, how long are you going to keep doing this? And he's like, until I don't, enjoyed coming to the gym anymore basically and he was talking about how working with all the young kids and this was pre-Wembenyama um it had re-energized him and he was so excited to watch them and he talked a lot about you know how when you're in that situation you have to watch them develop incrementally day over day and just continue to improve and get better and yeah now you dump this generational talent I'm sure he's like yeah this is great let's keep let's keep keep going keep keep doing this this is awesome so that's you know that's good and it's good for the game you know that Mm -hmm. he's gonna stick around and keep doing his thing no question number three keith keep it rolling all right i'm gonna stick with the draft um very you know not exactly breaking news here but reaffirmed the draft for me it's a very much an art or 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 an inexact science um we saw a guy like cam whitmore who was widely projected to be a somewhere in the top five to eight picks fall all the way to 20 because of some health concerns. And he came out and dominated summer league. <laughs> now it's funny. I ran into a scout at, in Las Vegas just you know when I was there last week. And one of the things he said to me was when we were talking was I said, you know, well, what, you know, just general thoughts about some guys. And he said, remember what I told you years ago? And this was, you know, a decade ago when I first met him. And his quote was, Summer League doesn't tell you who can play, but sometimes it'll tell you who can't play. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he was reinforcing was, you know, let's not get crazy about Cam Whitmore, but 
you know, let's, let's, you know, kind of add it to, to our book as we start to evaluate. And he, he looked really, really good. I think there were a lot of concerns about, um, the Thompson twins, Amen and Osar Thompson, as they came in, uh, uh, Amon only unfortunately played very briefly, but he, he looked really good. And then Osar looked terrific, uh, throughout. I think even if we go back to last year's draft class, uh, Paul Bancaro didn't play because why would he? He doesn't need to. He was the rookie of the year. He's going to play with Team USA this summer. <clears throat> Excuse me. But Jabari Smith Jr. did get out there, and he was out there for it, it felt like all of 10 minutes, and it was like, all right, this is enough. Like, he, he's <laughs> too good for this already. Keegan Murray did – I don't – I. I'm not even sure if he actually played in Vegas or not. I did not catch a Kings game live, but he played at least in the California classic and same kind of thing. He was so good. He didn't need to be out there. And then you had other guys who were going into their third and fourth year. James Wiseman was out there in his fourth year, former number two overall pick. And he just, you know, what needs to still be out there playing and getting reps. So, that was nice of you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the reality is, you know, I, I still kind of believe in James Wiseman just because I think with bigs, it takes so long and his whole entry point into the NBA was such a screwed up mess mm -hmm. where he barely played at Memphis because all the recruiting stuff and him being ineligible. And then with the Warriors, he stepped right into a team that was supposed to be good, but then wasn't good. Then he got hurt. So maybe he still comes along, but it just reaffirms everything with the draft of, man, like as much as we invest time and effort and everything that teams put into, you know, scouting and getting to know these kids, it's still, you know, you're, there's still some level of a roll of the dice with a lot of these prospects that you're just hoping for the best. Uh, one quick follow-up here on the draft. Um, where are you with these uh, these academy situations? We've got three of the top five picks coming out of G League, overtime elite, things like that. Uh, I don't think that's going away. Are, are those are those entities expanding, growing? Is the popularity still there? Do you think that you know name, image, likeness in college is going to keep some of those kind of players in the NCAA system? Where where are you hearing, or what are you, what are your thoughts on that whole structure? As it seems like now, there's a you know a lot of ways to get to the NBA, and that might even expand with high school in, in a couple of years here. Yeah, so we'll start with kind of a general thought of I think it's great to have multiple paths, and because I don't think the traditional go to college. Uh, play in college and go direct to the NBA is right for everybody. Uh, I think for some guys that isn't the, the right path for them. Uh, we see sometimes guys go to college and it's like, well, this was a complete waste. This guy's way beyond this. He doesn't need this. This is, if anything, it's just a risk. And I, I was hating, you know, we were starting to hear, this was probably, gosh, now probably, you know, six, seven, eight years ago, we we're starting to hear about kids coming up when they couldn't come straight out of high school. We we're starting to hear thoughts of they may just take a year off mm. and just not, not, you know, wait until they're at, at draft eligible and not actually play anywhere. And that that's never good, right? I don't want to see it get to that point. So now with this, I, I think the G League Ignite does a really good, smart thing. And you can see with Scoot Henderson, he was there for two years because because his first year uh, that he played with the Indine, he wasn't draft eligible because he wasn't old enough uh, to enter the draft yet. So what happened was he spent two years with the Ignite, and you can just kind of see it with him physically when you watch him play. He gets into the lane against some of these guys because Summer League is made up of 
guys who are rostered players that are generally in their first you know, year one to year three, every once in a while, like we talked about with Wiseman, you get a guy who's in year four. Then the rest of the guys are guys who are, you know, generally, you know, five to six year veterans that are trying to find their way back to the NBA, right? They're, they're, they're trying to, uh, you know, either show out and get a training camp invite or just stick on a roster or, you know, quite frankly, a lot of them are proved to overseas teams. Hey, I'm pretty good and I can play. So going back to Scoot, you see him go in there against a guy who's been a pro for five, six years, and he doesn't bounce off those guys and go flying like a lot of the other rookies do. He's he's ready for the contact because he's been going through it for two years at the G League Ignite level. Overtime Elite's a little bit of a different story because it's to some extent, and I'm very much you know uh, generalizing here, but it's kind of like a uh, glorified high school AAU type setup mm-hmm. um, where th- there's not a lot of you know they're, they're not playing against older pros or playing against like aged guys, but it's not in the same kind of collegiate environment. Most of the games there's you know very sparse attendance, if any, uh, there, so you're not even getting that kind of experience there under the lights with pressure on and all these kind of things. So we're going to see the Thompson twins are going to be you know, major guys. They're, they're the first two uh, high, high picks to come out of that program. So we're going to see what that looks like. But I think, I, I think those, those are going to be there because it's also good too. These guys don't have to now go overseas if they don't want to go the college route. We'd seen a handful of players do that. You know, whether that be, you know, going way back Brandon Jennings or that's what uh, LaMelo Ball ultimately did. You know, rather than go to college, they went over overseas for a year to start getting paid and get that experience. Now guys can, can get that through a couple different ways here. And then, yeah, college, I mean, I think it's, you know, the NIL stuff is great. You know, pay, Hey, if the schools are going to make millions off these yeah. kids, you know, the kids ought to be able to make, make some money too. So, so I do think that will balance things out a little bit where you, you'll see some guys, you know, go, I it feels like it's starting to feels like football was first. And now um, basketball is starting to spill more into them get, getting those big deals. But, you know, it's funny. I, I I was reading a thing the other day. It was a player who was like, yeah, I'm making less on my um, NFL contract than I would have made, you know, in an NIL deal in the first year just because of the way it worked out. So, you know, which is just, I mean, that tells you, you know, the, uh, the booster money, you know, coming in through these NIL deals, how crazy it is. But, you know, hey, it's, it's all business. So I don't mind these kids getting paid. And just to put you on the spot, here and if you don't know that's perfectly fine what what's the what's the pay like in a g league ignite structure or an overtime elite structure is it comparable to a nil situation for like a you know a scoot henderson type player yeah no I, overtime elite I, i'm not sure because it, they, they base so much of their whole thing around like it is still school development like, like they're, yeah they're, yeah there's still a, a classroom portion but I, I do know those guys are getting paid on the g league ignite they're essentially getting the same as what a two-way player mm. uh would, would get out of going to the g league ignite and then now the cool thing when they set up g league ignite was part of the whole process with this and we're in what year five or six maybe of the ignite um we are they they set it up so that they will cover school uh for those kids if you know so essentially if you wash out you know five years in 
you can come back and then they're going to pay for you to go to school and go get a degree and, you know, uh, move on to whatever the next path in life is for you. So I think that that's a, you know, kind of you know, neat setup that they came up with there for those guys. But yeah, it's a, it's definitely, you know, it's, it's a you know, pretty good living, but yeah, they're not necessarily making millions, which is where, you know, if these guys start pulling down these, you know, million dollar or more NIL deals from college, we may see that start to flip where it's like, yeah, I can do a year at Duke or Kentucky or wherever. And, you know, just kind of do my thing. Yeah. I, I, I do think it'll balance out. I really do. I don't think any of it's going to go away. If anything, it'll yeah. ampl- amplify and balance out and the money will just have to get better because that's what is deserved, quite frankly. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'll say this too, because I don't know that the whole one and done thing is going to change for the NBA uh. anytime soon. I was told, um, they got it confirmed by you know parties on both sides that when they sat down and negotiate the new CBA, when it got to the, hey, should we let kids come in right out of high school? Uh, both sides kind of looked at each other and were like, dude, who wants this? We're good because on the NBA side, they don't want to necessarily tie up roster spots and all this stuff in, you know, in drafting a kid right out of high school and saying, all right, well, it might be two years before this kid's ready, but now he's already halfway through his rookie contract. We've tied up a roster spot mm. for two years and somebody who can't play and not only that but now we gotta send all of our you know scouts into these high school gyms all over the country because the way it works is they're also paranoid you get a call about some kid in you know rural vermont who's you know you know tearing it up and they say you know you should check this kid out he's pretty good they're gonna go and do it because you because you don't want to be like well you know who else is there checking them out you know if we don't go someone else may may go do it and then on the players association side every kid who comes into the right every year we introduce a minimum of well it's usually 60 guys through the draft uh this year is only 58 because of a couple forfeited picks due to tampering but when you you introduce 60 guys that's 60 vets that are out of jobs right so in their mind is they're looking at it is why do we want to now introduce a whole bunch of, you know, 18 year old kids that are coming in and they're bumping the, you know, 10 year veteran out of that last roster spot. Cause the team's thought on process on it is, well, I can't really play, you know, we're not going to play them anyway. So let's go with the kid in the upside and we develop over, you know, bringing in the vet, you know, at the back end of the roster. So they're both sides, as far as I know, kind of looked at each other and are like, Hey, low hanging fruit. Let's just cross this off the list and say no change. And that seems like where it's at. Mm. When that changes, the sense I have is if we get major draft reform change and G League reform. Uh, the Phoenix Suns just uh, owner just came out this week and said uh, he will have a G League team, and that'll that'll be now all thirty teams will be have their own G League affiliate. And I think where this eventually will go is if you want to draft a kid out of high school, you can do it but it's going to come with must spend a year in the g league or must spend some time in the g league and what that will also do we'll have the um uh added benefit of increasing the legitimacy of the g league i think they eventually want to get it to be where it's kind of like uh uh, baseball Mm -hmm. where if you're a fan you generally know who your top two three prospects are in the minors for your team they want it to kind of turn into something like that uh, down the line i love it I think it's it's time overdue on that one. So I think, by the way, that I think the interest is there. I think a minor league program in some of these cities is going to is going to flourish like it did with baseball for a lot of years and still does in some places. So I think it's a a welcome, welcome uh, addition to the league. All right. Number four. All right. uh, This one is it's 
it's kind of staying related to the draft. At the trade deadline, things got bananas with uh, second-round picks getting mm. traded. I know at one point Scott and I looked at each other, and I'm like, I don't know, all that work we've been doing on track and draft picks, just throw it all away because we got to start over. I don't know who owns what pick anymore because, you know, some teams were trading four and five and six of them, and it got crazy. Then we saw the Bradley Beal trade uh, happen where the Suns, they were out of first-rounders to trade because they'd sent them all to the Nets for Kevin Durant. So they were like, here, take every single second-rounder we have to give you except for the one we're going to keep for this this year's draft. Now what we're seeing is you're starting to see teams pull back a little bit. And I think what you're starting to see is Phoenix, I think, realized, oh, boy, like we because they literally were sitting at a point this offseason where they control of none of their future draft picks. They were sitting on, you know, nothing. They, they either were traded or swap rights had been given out on all of their future picks. And now we've seen them do two separate deals, uh, one with the Grizzlies and one with the Magic, where they traded their last kind of little bit of swap rights that they could on for future first rounders to bring in two and three second rounders. So I think you're seeing these teams that are – uh, a little draft pick or go back out and say, we could have something. If for no other reason we want to have something in the coffer to trade down the line, but we also would like to be able to, to bring in some of that cheap back-end talent mm-hmm. for when we're so expensive. And then teams like Orlando and Memphis in Oklahoma City, um, they can give up multiple picks because they're sitting on young cores that are signed long term. You know, they've got, you know, anywhere between five and you know 10 roster spots really kind of locked in for the next three seasons or so. So for them, it's or we can give up some of these extra for just the you know shot in the dark that this first round swap ends up being something amazing uh, down the line. So that is just what we're seeing with this revaluing of draft picks happen we're also seeing in the Lillard uh, trade discussions and the Harden trade discussions the teams that are interested in them are basically saying man we don't know about giving you everything under the sun like happened in the Gobert and Mitchell trades last summer because again I think teams are like yeah we get those guys we're going to be pretty expensive ourselves and we have to have that pipeline still feeding in uh, talent that's you know cost controlled and quite frankly much cheaper on the on on our books to at least balance things out a little bit so that's going to be something that's going to continue to take probably i would say the next two three cycles to fully see how how it plays out and you're always going to have some team that's like well we're really close right now and our whole goal is to win a title let's get this done but it's been fun to kind of watch how teams go through this draft pick evaluation no question that the second round pick has become uh some sort of tool here you know yeah more powerful than it's ever been. I've got since since that Beal trade, I've got Washington acquiring nine second round picks. This <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. I've got yep. uh, I, I think Detroit and Boston have five each. I mean, it has yep. just become kind of a farming process. And I think you're right. If if the overall trade stuff is going to be devalued, and I think it is, I don't think that's a myth, then aren't those going to become more powerful as assets? I think they will, especially if you package, you know, three to five at one time. So I, I do think that's not the worst way to do business. You know, Oklahoma City spent all this year trying to get first, and I think I think they're brilliant for doing so. But maybe you maybe you can simplify that process this way, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the challenge with the first rounders too, 
those come with the guaranteed rookie scale deal attached to them. So if you're in a spot right now, Oklahoma City, like as we record this, their roster is at the off-season maximum of 21 players. That went up by one uh, this off-season. It used to be 20. Now we're up to 21 because they added the additional third two-way spot. But the Thunder have, they have 20 players under contract that are signed to standard NBA deals. That can only be 15. Mm-hmm. So you're going to see them have to cut or trade five guys. With, and, and in trade, take nobody back in the trade because that obviously doesn't help anything. So we're in a spot where as you look at at this Thunder roster, and I'm not saying they've done anything wrong because they used most of their cap space to eat deals and bring deals in in exchange for future assets from these teams. But what you're looking at now as you kind of kind of look at them is we've hit the tipping point where they just have too many picks. The roster has too many good young players who are under contract. It's kind of funny. If you look at, if you pull up their cap sheet on the multi-year view on spot track, they're one of the more full um, uh, views because every year has a salary attached in it. Now there's options in there because a lot of these guys are on rookie scale deals and other things, but they, they are pretty well full up. So, so we've seen kind of the tipping point where for them, uh, sitting on, you know, the, I think, what did they say the other day? 35 picks mm-hmm. in the next seven drafts. That's, that's insane. It's way too many. You're never going to get value. You could never possibly use all of those picks. It, you know, you could cycle through your roster every year and not use all of them. So they're in a spot where teams kind of know and they're like, yeah, you throwing in four picks, that doesn't really overwhelm us because it's, you know, well, what is it? But it's still a spot where it is, all right, but you're also willing to take this contract off our books, right. you know, and do the picks and do okay, let's go. Well, we we can make something happen. So they're in a really good spot. But all those teams with those seconds, yeah, they're in a spot now where you can move. And then the last thing I'll say on those second round picks, with the advent of the new second round pick exception, which we've kind of jokingly uh, termed the Palinka rule because Rob mm-hmm. Palinka repeatedly blew uh, signing his second rounders to deals longer than two years. Um that new second round pick exception makes that even again, those picks are more valuable because you're not having to carve uh room out of cap space or out of an exception to sign those guys for more than two years. You can just use the new second round pick exception to give them the longer contract. So we're in a pretty cool, cool spot with second rounders being this this you know new thing rather than just, hey, we drafted some European guy that's probably never, ever going to come over and his draft rights will get traded seven times is just the something in a trade that has to go. Now there's actually real value attached to those picks. Okay. Fifth and final one. All right. So the fifth and final one, we are in a spa with the NBA where the league is in great shape mm-hmm. and it's in great shape in a lot of different ways. One, uh, we know the revenue came in stronger off of last season than anybody expected. Uh, the CBA went off relatively smoothly. We, we, we had no delay, no, no stoppage of even the off season, definitely no stoppage in games. Really great to see with that. The salary cap is going to continue to go up. I heard most people that the NBA projected the cap at 142 million for the next season, meaning the 24, 25 season. That's moderate growth. That's like seven and a half, eight percent growth. Now everybody's like, yeah, that's nonsense. It's going to be 10%. 
Like, like very few people think that. And then going forward from there, it's 10% growth off of every uh, year off of that. So we're in a spot where, you know, you have that coming in. The new media rights deal is coming in. But again, because they capped it at 10% growth per season, we're not going to get a $25 million cap spike, which throws everything out of balance for one year. And a whole bunch of guys who don't deserve massive contracts get them. Uh, we're not going to see that. They did a really nice job balancing that out. And then the, the last two things I'll say is because they're, they're, they're intertwined with the uh, great you know, money coming in. But also, the league is as deep in talent right now as I can ever remember. Me too. You have really good long-term veterans. You have good kind of uh, guys who are stepping forward to take over the mantle and the you know, kind of heading into their prime years. And then we've got this influx of young talent behind those guys that are coming in that are going to be absolute stars as we go. So those are, you know, super exciting. All that ties into Adam Silver is all but admitted the NBA is going to expand. Uh, he, you know, after years and years and years of saying it's just not something we're looking at right now, it's not something we're really interested in. He has openly said as soon as the media rights deal is done, that's going to be, be the process we start. It's pretty much the worst kept secret that it sounds like Seattle and Las Vegas are going to get teams. What some are starting to wonder now is are they going to be the first major professional sports league to go to 34? Are they going to jump into a couple places where, hey, let, let's get in in early. Instead of being the third and fourth uh, league in a city, let's try to get in early on a couple cities and we'll go to 34. And there's, I think it'll probably be to 32. They'll do that. They'll probably move Memphis, it sounds like most likely, will get shuffled off to the Eastern Conference or they blow the whole thing up and relook at all of it together. But you know, you've got the in-season cup coming. You've got all this stuff. They, they, the league is just in tremendous shape which is really fun in the expansion part man when that comes down i can't wait because we're going to be content rich for <laughs> a year on you know how we deal with you know expansion draft stuff so that's going to be amazing can i offer one like a 5a question back to you here because sure. i feel like i haven't heard enough about this and i'm fascinated it was there any uh, scuttlebutt around the water cooler at summer league about this in-season tournament I, I know yeah. the details are out. I, I'm I'm not totally sold, Keith. I, I especially on the timing of this thing. I thought it was going to be more in like the January area. It's not. They're like pumping this right into college football and NFL season. I'm not sure about this one, man. Yeah. So there was there. There's a lot I did more than a little. There's a lot of talk about it, and it's it's pretty divided. You've got some people who I think one of the quotes, and I put it in one of our. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, summer league notebooks was stop trying to make us soccer. Like we're not soccer. <laughs> um, that was, you know, one of the quotes I got from a, from a team executive. Um, but then there's others who are like, Hey, we got to get interest in those games in November and December, yeah. because the reality is too far too many people look at it as who cares, right? I'll, I'll see you at Christmas. That's when the NBA starts for me because football's wrapping up. Let's go. I think they were really smart to put those cup games, the, the group stage games on Tuesdays and Fridays where there isn't a lot of football. Uh, being played. Um, so I think that was really smart of them. Uh, that that uh, Evan Walsh, who's kind of the NBA's uh, in-house guy who was really, um, I don't want to say in charge of this, but he was key in getting this done. He said on the low post the other day, it was Kyle Lowry who said, let's have uh, specific days where it's you know this and Kyle Lowry's point was that allows teams and players to gear up saying all right hey if you if I got to be fully ready to go for for my game on Tuesday because it's this tournament thing plus a regular season game 
let's go. Then I, I'll, I'll sit out, you know, Sunday if I need to or whatever. I'll be ready to go on Tuesday. So that's going to be, you know, fun. It's going to take a little while for it to catch on. But the thing I kept going back to, and I find and it's funny because I was talking with someone who's, he's pretty grumpy about this stuff and he doesn't like this kind of change. And one of the things I said is, yeah, but you didn't like the play in tournament either. And now how do And he's like, yeah, it's pretty great. He's like, it is pretty cool. So it's going to take a little while for them to figure it out and for teams to fully care and people to get invested. But I do think it'll come, you know, over time because it is something that it's, it's a proven model, you know, not just in soccer, but in European uh, basketball, they, they do these domestic cups. What when it'll really take off, is if they do expand it eventually out of just the 30 NBA teams, they say, hey, you know what? Yeah. We're going to introduce the G League teams yeah. into this. Now, the challenge is going to be nobody's going to want to lose to a G League team, so that's going to be be a little bit of a problem. We know it'll eventually happen, right? 16 is, is beating a one seed in the NCAA tournament. It will happen at some point, and then that'll you know cause all heck to break loose. But, but yeah, it, it's, it's going to take some tweaking and adjusting and probably over a period of a few years. But for me, you can get things – you know, a little more interesting in those November, December games for people beyond the maniacs like me who are watching, you know, from day one of the season. Um, yeah, let's go. Let's let's kind of juice it if we need, if we can. One question that I have, I don't know if you know the answer yet. Is it still going to be on the TNT ESPN broadcast? Yeah, we Yeah, I believe so. I believe what they're going to do is they're going to make sure uh, those. Uh, I, I think they're calling them in-season group nights or whatever, because because it, it was a little weird that they're call, literally just calling it the in-season tournament, and then what they win is the NBA Cup. And we were all told stop calling the whole thing the NBA Cup, and we're like, why? Like that's way better. I agree. Like, it's a better <laughs> name, but whatever. That'll take. And I was told. Eventually, Adam Silver would like to name it after David Stern. Um, but why he doesn't want to is if it fails spectacularly, they don't want to be the one thing they put David Stern's name on to be like, well, that all fell apart in one year. Now we can't <laughs> name the next thing after him. Um, so that's something that's out there. But I think what you're going to see um, with this is it's going to take take iterations. But, yeah, it's going to be those main TV partners. And one of the things that they were talking about doing is doing some kind of like – like. Um, all right, this will be the game that you'll get, but a lot more of the whip around quad box kind of things nice. where it's like, let's check in on what's going on. It sounds like if you remember, they did the day before election night. Uh, they did that new where they yeah. staggered every game awesome. by 15 minutes. I think you're going to see some of that on these nights. I think that was a tryout for, hey, what would that look like if we start? So, you know, even if we have to start games, at, you know, as early as, you know, uh, 630 or something Eastern, you know, let's do some of this. So they, they're going to play around and use this to experiment. And it's like I said, it's going to take a couple of years, but you're going to get a lot of a lot of stuff. And I think some of the things they're stealing from uh, both the NFL and the Premier League on this yeah. where it is. Hey, let's show you multiple things at once because I think they realize that's how a lot of fans are viewing it anyway, right? They're, not as many people are sitting down, turning on the game, and then they sit for two and a half hours and watch. It's I'm on my phone, or I've got my laptop on, I'm checking in on another game for you know whether it's fantasy purposes, gambling purposes, or just you know I'm a huge fan and I want to you know consume as much. I think they're going to lean heavily into mm. that, which will be a lot of fun. So the only reason I ask about the broadcast is, well, hey, I, I I like the NBA broadcast partners, but also big soccer fan. I know you are too. Yeah. When when my team is off because of the FA Cup or you know one of the derbies, 
I have to I have to scrounge to find out where to watch this thing. I don't know what <laughs> yeah. streaming service the FA Cup has has you know and the Champions yeah. League and it's a real pain in the you know what Keith and and it's it's driving me bonkers throughout the year. So as long as I can still turn on to TNT, you know whether it's a tournament night, whether it's a regular season night, I think that'll be okay. But the second they yeah. start farming this thing off to a streaming service and you know it's coming, oh, that's yeah. going to be a problem because I'm telling you it's a problem for the soccer tournaments. Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I, uh, you know, go looking for my team and I'm like, all right, what are we on? And then oh, invariably it comes into either something I don't have or it's like not even yep. available here. And then, then it's like, all right, I'm not going to turn to one of those shady streams. that's probably loading a hundred viruses into my computer. So, you know what? I guess what I'm kind just of gonna, fan. Are you Keith? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. Bad one, apparently. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, you get into those, those spots where it's, yeah, I want to be very careful, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's it, it they will be available to see one way or another i know the rest will be on league pass you know definitely for sure that's you know going to be something that comes we're seeing the phoenix suns are moving their games to free over the air uh tv next year that's all now uh moving forward so that's going to be an interesting thing to track and watch so yeah all this stuff's going to take you know a lot of evolution here over the next year plus as they negotiate the new media rights and that'll be all part of you know whatever this new nba is that comes you know over the next you know let's say five six years it's good stuff as always. There is a ton of literature on spotrack.com from Keith. Uh, you mentioned your summer le- your summer notebooks. I know that's something you've been doing quite a while. We are thrilled that you, you brought it over to Spotrack with you. Uh, it's a three-part series, right? Yep, three parts. Yeah, we did a general one in East and a West. And then, uh, yeah, so that, that those are all up. And uh, we've got our first, uh, we're, we're going division by division with kind of off-season recaps. Just so everybody, I, I, I can't tell you how many people you get. Like, I forgot that guy signed there or got yeah. traded there. So our idea is you pull it up, you look, and you, you can see right there. And, and then we answer a couple questions. You know, well, what, what did they do? What do they still have to do uh, You know, before the season starts and those kind of things? And, yeah, we're having a lot of fun with those. those the rest of those will be up uh, by the end of the week before I uh, go go on my uh, little vacation here. Enjoy it. We'll touch base soon, Keith. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Always got great catching up with Keith. As I mentioned, there are literally dozens of articles from this offseason from Keith, either recapping a trade, breaking down a division, which more of that is coming in terms of recap, as he mentioned, or just general thoughts. He was in attendance for Summer League, bumping elbows with all the right people. And he brought back plenty of notes that he put into article form on spotrack.com. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Giannetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spotrack Podcast. <laughs>